Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 377. And in today's show, Steve and I are talking about our picks for the gear of the year. This is something that we've done actually since 2018. So this marks the fifth year in a row that Steve and I have just hopped on a podcast and talked about any gear that was a standout item for us this year. Um, As you'll hear us explain, we don't necessarily do this um, with any structure to it. It's changed in some years past. We have set like, hey, here's gear of the year picks for this certain budget or what have you. Um, But this year, like other years, we literally, Steve and I, independently just sat down and thought about what is some gear that we've used this year that we really feel like made a difference on some hunts or proved itself in a new way. Uh, And as you'll also hear, not everything in this list is even new gear. Some of this is gear that we've been using for years, but just once again was very valuable to us on some adventures this year. So just wanted to mention before we dive into the conversation about the items we do discuss in today's episode, that if you want to get more on those items or see previous gear of the year lists, then check out the link in the show description. We're going to have the itemized list for everything Steve and I talk about today. We'll have links to go check those items out if that's something you want to do. And then we'll also have links to those 2018, 2019, 2020, and last year's 21 gear of the year picks if you want to see other items that we've included in previous years. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Let's dive right in. Here's Steve and I discussing some of the gear that made a difference to us this year. All right, Steve. So 2022 gear of the year. I'm setting a stopwatch because you have an elk to go kill. So we are on a time crunch. It's always easy when we start talking about gear to talk forever. Forever. We do, yeah. We do have a, a limit to the gear's fun, man. I enjoy the heck out of doing podcasts like these. Yeah. So we've been doing this uh, since 2018. We have 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and now 2022, where you've picked gear of the year. We've not, it's changed a little bit just for listeners' contexts. Um, like there's been years where we set very specific price ranges and we have to pick gear within that. But um, last year and this year, for sure, it was just you and I like separately going, all right, what stands out? I don't really care what it costs um, and go through that. And then just also want to say for context, even though we do this every year, like I think we said this last year. I think for both you and I, we love the fact that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. And a lot of the gear that we use carries over year after year after year. So we're not trying Mm -hmm. to come up with, we need a new shelter every year. We need to do this. Like the whole point of the gear that we talk about is to pick really good gear that'll last a really long time for sure. (laughs) The tent I picked is my, or or, I didn't have a tent category or whatever, but I just, uh, we'll get into it, but it's the tent I've been using since, uh, forever, man, 2012, I think. Um, so yeah, it's just about, I mean, gear is fun. Uh, it's fun to research. It's fun to try. It's fun to, you know, check out new things and, and legitimately gear, um, can help with a hunt when, when you have the right gear, when you have good gear, stuff that works, 
uh, at the same time, it is way, way overhyped and people get too caught up in it for, for going, just spending time, like getting out, you know, that like we've talked about that before. Like, oh, I, you know, I can't go hunt, you know, I don't have the right gear, right? Like that's the, the worst mentality to have. Go, go hunt, figure it out. And the gear will come later. So, so again, we like during this time of year to give you guys ideas uh to gear up for maybe next year to maybe throw some stuff on your christmas list like we'll see but it's a fun time of year to look back for us and think through not only this fall's hunts but death hike from the summer spring bear hunting like you and i just go back for the whole last year and and talk about standout stuff really quick did want to um chat about the stuff we picked last year like just hit on some highlights and i think it kind of proves the point like a all this stuff is stuff we're still continuing to use. And also for you guys listening, we do have links in the show description for this podcast to all of the prior gear, the year picks that we have again, going back to 2018. But uh, Steve, if you pull up your 2021 list, so all the things we talked about exactly a year ago, I know for me personally, I'm looking over that and like, yep, Steve still uses this, that, 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 this, that, that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'll just go through the list. It's what nine items or ten items, real quick. So the mechanics swear fast fit gloves. Still continue to love wear those. I actually bought a second pair. The first pair I had were like multi cam. Bought a second pair in Kyrie Brown. Um, they're like the one of those gloves. The more you wear them, they break in and fit to your fingers, and uh, just just a really good glove. And I'm a huge fan of. For years, all I, the only time I had gloves was for keeping my hands warm. And these gloves, they do a good job keeping my hands warm. But even when it's warm outside, I'll wear them just navigating through the mountains. You know, when you're on steep hills and you need to grab on the brush to keep from slipping and falling. And all this, um, I think, actually started from Kodiak from our first trip there in 2019, right? Mm -hmm. um, where it's like gloves are just a mandatory piece of equipment because you are having to grab onto the brush so much that you're every once in a while you catch the devil's club and uh, whatever that little thorny bush is. And yeah, um, you, you're required so the gorilla mini tripod and the wireless iphone adapter that's i'm literally going solo elk hunting right now um i just killed a buck last thursday like all the photos i've been taking i've been taking with that because when you're by yourself it's fantastic even when you're with a buddy um on our bear hunt in the spring you know i pulled that thing out and you and i can get behind the bears and take photos and fantastic to have weight no weight penalty and together that's like 15 bucks or 20 bucks for those two pieces the kestrel bino adapter continuing to use on my swirl range el range tas that thing's been fantastic rifle support systems is the next thing on the list just just meaning that um you know i i almost would not take a freehand shot period at this point right like it's if i see an animal i'm gonna like i've got so many different ways of um that one of the things ties into the new gear of the year picks for this year but so many day, different ways to get a, the rifle steady and supported to make an accurate shot that that's like my default i'm, I'm immediately there's an animal get a support system set up and, and, a, and with enough practice in the field i know exactly what to default to right um i just did this on well yeah we'll get into it on my new gear of the year but i just did this kill on that buck on last thursday so solomon cross hike gtx i did not wear those this year um i i still have the same pair i've worn them on a lot of training hikes i was you know they're they've been fantastic boot recommended by hench got a bunch of guys you know it's still just solomon issues with um 
being waterproof over the long term. So I tried some other things out and some worked, some didn't. Wiser Panhead, the, their Precision Nighthawk Ultralight Panhead, continue to use things absolutely fantastic. The Night Force 2.5 to 10 by 42 obviously we're both still using those, just had those guys on the podcast. Absolutely blown away by that. Um, Thunder Beast Suppressor, still using that, obviously. I just, <laughs> when I, uh, um, who I was just talking to a guy in the office this week, and I had, um, so when I was, I killed that buck last Thursday, I had, I had a coyote run in front of me, um, and I shot him at 340 yards from where that coyote died to where I killed the buck was about 150 yards away. Um, so I literally killed the coyote, went over, skinned it out, um, and then went, uh, went over, grabbed, shot the buck and then, uh, and so the buck, you know, they had to have heard the gunshot. Like, you know, he was kind of over a little bit of a rise, but not, not that crazy different to where you wouldn't have heard it. And then also when I was coming out, not like 500 yards from where the buck was, was a herd of elk bedded on a ridge. So I was able to shoot that coyote, shoot the deer, and then almost was able to shoot that spike that was in that group of elk. And all of them heard the gunshots, right? Like, but yeah. there's just something about that suppressor. The animals don't react like they normally would. Uh, I think it's just a fantastic, fantastic piece of gear that's that's worth every ounce. You know, obviously, I hate adding weight to anything and adding the eight, nine ounces that way is... Um, you know, it's one of those like, oh, do I really need it? But yeah, it's it's freaking fantastic. And I highly, highly recommend if you've taken kids hunting, I think that's like a no-brainer to me. Like yeah. you can be um say whatever you want about your own, like, oh, I'll just put in earplugs and deal with the recoil. But um I think for kids that that's just fantastic. I can't wait to um have I was gonna take my nephews out hunting this October or this December and um, have them shoot the gun a little bit. And I think it's just uh, fantastic for kids. So, and then last on my list was the Swirl Yell Range TAs. Continue to use those, just absolutely fantastic binos. Um, that, uh, yeah, just between having really, really good glass, not quite as good as pure NL Pures, but still very, very good. That's just, um, yeah, they've been fantastic. That's as quick as I can go. Yeah, that's quick. I'm, uh, for sake of time, I'm going to skip some of mine, but just to highlight for me, three standouts that even last year, I had already used all these a ton, but have continued to use them a ton. And that's the Gossamer Gear uh, Shelter called the One, um, the Hanbag Boots, Makra Trucks, and Alverstones. Both I've continued to wear uh, again a ton, use those for pretty much everything, unless it's crazy hot like it happened to be on a elk hunt and i was wearing uh my salamons but use those for spring bear for death hike for my mountain goat hunt etc super super happy with both of those boots um and then same for you the suppressor we had been shooting um those for a while last year but just continue to be impressed by the performance of those in the field last year you had the ultra five i had the ultra seven and I did just get an Ultra 5 this past year. It actually, I got the approval for it and got it in my hands to start shooting it like two weeks before my goat hunt. Um, and so I've been using it this fall, but for sure this winter, um, just with some more time to get those suppressors side by side, I want to do, uh, you know, follow up and talk about the 5 and the 7, the, the true kind of performance differences. Obviously, you can save the weight and in inches of going with the five, then that's great. But I do want to 
be a little bit more analytical because I'm already getting the questions from folks on on the real difference of those and noise and recoil and et cetera. So more to come in that regard. But yeah, lots of stuff from last year continuing to using hard. And again, that year's past, like going all the way back and all those lists, which you guys can find links to. But Steve, let's go to 2022. We're crunched for time. Um, I went ahead and ordered yours according by price. So I do want to go up in price. So um, okay. let's start with a free one. You mentioned electrical tape on the barrel. Why is that a gear <laughs> yeah. of the year thing? <laughs> well, uh, obviously we've been doing it for quite a few years, but it's just like, um, I think that started from, we had Darren Cooper on the podcast, right? And he, mm-hmm. I think it kind of been putting tape on the barrel prior to that, but not religiously. And he was, he had a Frank church sheep tag he uh, very proficient with a rifle, missed a ram, and and knew that it was water that was in the barrel that caused that miss. Right, uh, you're out hiking in the rain, the barrel, the gun strapped to the pack, it's pointing up, water's going down the barrel, and so ever really ever since that conversation, I've been just adamant about always having electrical tape on the barrel, and it's just so nice not to have to worry about things getting down in there. There's absolutely no effect on accuracy whatsoever. So I just very religious about taping it up. I, I was like good about it. And then I'd like shoot. Um, I think it was last year, last year, or the year prior, you're the bull you shot. Um, no, it was last year. Cause I missed it. And then you shot it. And then, yeah, so I had blown out the electrical tape and then we were packing it out and I had not replaced the tape and we were climbing up. We had that steep, uh, short little 500 foot climb, but it was just pure, like Sandy, just you're sliding down as much as you're stepping up type of climb. And I remember, um, slipping and falling. And then the gun hit, hit on the ground and dirt went in the barrel. And I was like, son of a gun. Like I forgot to retape this back up. So the whole rest of the hunt, I'm worried about, like, I tried to clean it out. I had to unscrew the suppressor, get all the dirt out of there. Uh, you know, just kind of like, tried to blow down the barrel and get all the little bit of dirt out of there. And I was able to do it. But um, if I had just taken the time to retape that back up, it you know, would have been way better off. And we did figure out that um, one thing I've been doing is I just put extra tape on the barrel or on the suppressor for me. But when you do shoot, if it's cold outside, you want to immediately just take that extra tape that's already going to be heated up by the barrel. Cause when it heats up, it gets really tacky and then just immediately tape that back over and uh yeah it's just fantastic super simple but you know essentially free uh yeah. you know one tape uh, one roll of tapes probably gonna last you 10 years and um just a great free easy thing to do that just peace of mind when you're out there hunting yeah yeah that really stands out to me is what you said and i've started doing this is just as soon as you shoot that tape that extra tape that you hopefully have on the barrel or in our case the suppressor is warm go ahead and take that off and put it back over the muzzle right away like as soon as you're done shooting and you know you're not going to need to shoot again immediately even if you think your hunt is over like you said if you're just packing out still worth keeping that um, muzzle completely covered so definitely do that for me since you had that and it was basically free i was trying to think of something free and this isn't gear but it's how you use gear and this is something i've been doing for several years now but i I feel like I still see people not do this. And so my quote unquote free prick is just sleeping pad pressure. 
Um, so many guys blow up their sleeping pad till it's full and then you just sleep on it and just assume that I'm supposed to fill up my sleeping pad and that's the way it's supposed to be. And for me, I've, I inflate the pad pretty much fully, um, but then lay on it. And for me, I take air out of it. Um, basically right up until if I'm laying on my side, my hips getting ready to touch the ground. And when I'm sleeping with that, call it three quarters full in my sleeping pad, I've never slept better. So if you are the guy who just automatically inflates your sleeping pad and sleeps on it, try running less pressure. That's my kind of free thing. Um, if I had to pick something cheap, that maybe is the cost of a roll of electrical tape, assuming your electrical tape costs a few bucks, uh, something easy and cheap is the, it's called the Nalgene easy sipper. Um, so it's the little insert that goes inside of a wide mouth Nalgene and basically makes it so that you don't splash or spill or pour water all over yourself. I've started using those and especially on hunts, um, when I'm either moving a little bit or just kind of lazy, uh, basically just drinking out of those things makes sipping out of an Nalgene way easier. So that's my free slash super cheap pick. Um, your next one, Steve, was a K to NB free. Yeah, uh, started using that last year in 2021, and just I was testing that in that new platypus. Was it called Quickdraw? Yes. Yeah, uh, it just has competition to the already very proven Sawyer squeeze filter, and definitely that ba- that B free one out. Just a combination of the um, the filter itself is extremely fast. When they're brand new, I've been pretty good about shaking those. Uh, when you get home, I would just run like warm water through the filter, kind of spray water through it, clean it out. Uh, if you, f- you fill up the dirty bag with clean water and then you can kind of shake it out and just been like really good about maintaining that. And the flow rate's been staying pretty steady, actually. Like there's a, there's this initial drop off, but it's still just you're filling up an algae and, you know. 30 to 45 seconds it's insanely easy to use and it doesn't seem to clog quite as bad as the sawyer squeeze does uh weights basically identical they've just been a fantastic filter to use and um we've talked about it i do treat them as somewhat a consumable good like you know if if i go through two a year that's fine it's kind of a change in mentality from you know you know, say 10 years ago, you bought this, you know, $150 filter and you wanted it to last you 10 years and every three or four, maybe you replace the actual filter inside of it, but, um, treat it as a consumable good. You're at the very least, you're going to go through one a year, but they're, I think they're 30 bucks. Like just, uh, they're just absolutely fantastic. 26 bucks on Amazon right now. 26 bucks. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, um, again, in the, link in the show description will not only have last year's gear of the year stuff we will have a link to all of our gear of the year for this year and links to buy this stuff if you guys want to check it out um i was going to put the same thing on my list but when i saw that you did yours because we made our list separately i took a slight detour and something that i've paired with my catered in be free is the hydra pack seeker And so these are basically have become my dirty bags. So the Be Free comes with a one liter um, bag that you can filter from. 
that's great. I wanted to have the capacity on top of that to carry more water and have more dirty water. And that's one cool thing about the Kaden system is there's quite a few bags on the market that are co- compatible with the filter directly. So um, the Hydropack Seeker comes in a one, two, three, and then I have the four liter version. It's just a few ounces. They're really tough and the Kaden Be Free threads right into it. And so I can pick up dirty water whenever I want up to four liters. Um, it is marked on that bag, you know, incrementally, if I just decide, okay, I want to carry a liter and a half, I can easily do that and see what that um, volume is and then keep the rest of the bag empty. And then basically that's just my extra water storage. And when I want to filter it, just screw in the be free straight into that big bladder and filter and go. So it's been really handy, not only solo, but, you know, with people or with groups, you know, because I have that four liter bag, I'm kind of the guy to be like, Hey, does it might need water? I'll pick some here. We'll, you know, on our goat hunt, for example, there's definitely places where we weren't going to have water up top and just having that capacity at any point in time, um, to carry all that extra water is great. And the fact that it works directly with filters. Awesome. So, um, Let's see. From there, Steve jumps over to you for the super feet. What are they called? Adapt Hike Max, I believe, in Yeah. Yep. Spot. Uh, one of the guys, Christian, on the Death Hike had them. Uh, and I remember looking at because the super feet trailblazer was yep. something uh, I was using last year, but I could use it. You know, obviously, I got a plethora of freaking boots in my garage that I play with and, you know, between training hikes and hunting and whatever, and chucker hunting, I'll always grab something different and try things out. And, um, so those trailblazers I could put in some shoes, but not every shoe, right? Like they would, some shoes, they would like lift my heel too high and kind of take it out of the heel cup of the back. And so it caused rubbing. And, um, anyways, I saw those adapt hike max and then randomly, I think the you know, stupid, uh, cell phones listening to you. I probably got home a few days later and an ad popped up in front of me and, um, it was like, they were on, they were like 40% off and I, they're already fairly cheap as it is, but I bought a pair just like, oh, I'll check them out. And they ended up being my go-to pair of insoles. I could throw them in any shoe I want. They've been absolutely fantastic for comfort. I did just have, um, the, it has like a fabric kind of glued to it. And I soaked, uh, they were getting kind of smelly and I soaked them in warm water over the weekend to clean them out. Cause I knew I was going hunting this week and, um, the, that fabric thing peeled off on top of it, but I think it's still going to work just fine, but they've seen, you know, I, I've had them since, uh, July this year. So they've, they've got some miles on them, but, um, yeah, I've been very, very impressed with them. They've got great cushioning. They, the, um, they reduce kind of the hot spots and, and, and stuff with your foot sliding on top of it. Just been a really good insole and something definitely worth, worth trying out. I highly encourage people, even if, if you have a boot you like, you know, play with the insoles and play with your thought socks. Cause you can really customize and dial in the feet, uh, the feel of that shoe for yourself, um, by playing with those two things. Yeah. I gotta admit, I had a, I don't want to say a bad impression of super feet, but Years ago, I had tried, like at the time, they didn't have as many models, like the Superfeet Green, the Superfeet Blue, etc. Mm-hmm. I had tried all those and it was just not a fan at all. So, for quite a few years, when I heard Superfeet, I'm just like, nah. But uh, several years ago, tried those. Um, what are they, terrain, Steve? You just said it. Trailblazer. 
Trailblazer. Trailblazer. That's right. So I've been running those the last couple of years and love them. Uh, I have not run the Adapt Hike Max yet. And really the reason for that is I have several pairs of the Trailblazers and really like them. But both of those two um, completely changed, honestly, my impression of Superfeet. And that's what I've been running for sure is those Trailblazers and almost everything. The old ones suck. They have like they're they're much more of like a stiff orthotic than they were uh, an insole that provided like cushioning and mm-hmm. uh, you know while doing arch support. The other ones are just purely arch support, and that's the the last thing I need is like I need more cushion in there. Like I think my feet are somewhat sensitive to you know it's one of the reasons I don't like boots that don't have any kind of you know as you put that heel down on the ground that there's not some type of forgiveness there that um, certainly tends to wear my feet out by the end of the day. For me, the next thing, again, we're kind of ascending here in price. Uh, Those super feet are like 50 bucks, by the way. Um, The Exo skin boxers, uh, these are $38. I've never been so excited about boxers before. (laughs) Like they're, uh, dude, they're just, they've been so good because on and off, like I've had boxers that fit well, but you know, say on day three of a hunt, they're starting to stretch out or they're bunching up or they're riding up or, you know, they don't wick enough, et cetera, et cetera. And these exoskin boxers for me, I don't know if it's just the way they fit me um, or if all of their fabric and technology is as magical as they say it is. But um, I have three pairs now and would honestly like chip away at just buying more over time and using them for running and workouts and stuff like that outside of, um, hunting. But yeah, I mean, I've worn, I've worn these six, seven days straight and had zero issues with them stretching out with them smelling terrible with them staying wet with them riding up. Um, just really, really stinking happy with them. Uh, and as a bonus, they're made in the USA, which is pretty dang cool. So um, pretty small company. I think a lot of guys, you know, haven't heard of these unless you've maybe heard me ramble about them, but, um, they're fantastic. So again, a link for those in the list. Um, Steve, we're crossing the $100 threshold now as we ascend in price. Your next item is the work sharp precision adjust elite sharpening system. Yeah, this is fairly like we, uh, met the workshop guys at the Portland Sportsman Show this year. One of the guys, Matt, we've known for a while. Um, but anyways, they uh, we swapped out and we traded a, traded some packs for some knife sharpeners and and um, kind of got to play with it. They have their their Ken Onion Edition one, which is more of a, um, a pulley system, you know, motorized like thing. And then yeah, the, um, the this precision one you would you had used and talked about, and I just mine was just sitting in the box in my hunting cabinet out in the garage and um uh, i decided to pull it out oh like a month ago and played with it and i did had pretty good results but not perfect and then you came out for the elk hunt um i was like hey get this my eagle hawk knife i want you to touch this thing up um and you did it on the drive up to uh elk camp and um obviously we didn't kill anything when you were out but then when i just killed that but we knew the knife was very, very sharp. You could just tell when I killed that buck last Thursday, it was just stupid sharp. Like, I mean, absolutely unbelievable sharp. And I, I got through the entire deer. I did, you know, small body deer and I took my time and wasn't banging the knife up against bone and stuff like that. But when I got home, um, or actually when I was done cutting it up, I cleaned the knife off and I was like, I wonder if this, how sharp this still is able to easily shave hair off my arm. 
Uh, and obviously a lot of that's the steel, but uh, it started out so sharp that after cutting through an animal, it was still sharp and sharp enough to shave hair. And then I proceeded to just touch that knife back up when I got home. And then I went just for fun and grabbed two other knives. And I mean, they are just scary sharp right now. Uh, so I'm excited to uh, potentially here go out tonight and kill an elk and test it out again. But just a yeah. fantastic sharpener. Easy to use. Anybody could do it. You know, yeah. after seeing you, I was asking questions as we were driving down the road as you were using it. And, you know, I think uh, worthwhile, like looking on YouTube, if there's not any good videos out there on how to do it, we should put one together and post it up because it's stupid, simple and just fantastic. Yeah, I've been I've owned numerous kits and individual stones and all kinds of stuff to sharpen for years. And I got my kit, um, that kit from those guys last February. And that's all I've been using since. Um, so I've been using it for almost a year at this point. I've used it on all my hunting knives, pocket knives, etc. And uh, it's great. I mean, you can literally reprofile a knife um, and start from scratch if you want to change the blade blade angle or the um, the blade type. Like if you want to go from a convex edge to a flat edge, in this case, you can go up and do the whole thing. Um, but then at the same time, if you keep a knife relatively sharp and you just want to touch it up, I mean, it's a couple minutes on this thing and you're done. Um, and as you said, Steve, I've spent time in the past sharpening by hand and like working angles and knowing what to do with knives a little bit. Um, and that takes some time and effort and skill. But with this system, the way that they have it built, truly anybody can do it. It's a, it's a great piece of kit for sure. So that is 120 bucks for the full kit there. That's all that is. Yeah. It's really impressive actually for what it is. I didn't realize the cost of it. Yeah. Um, my next pick was, or is the catabatic gear pinion bivy. Um, for the longest time I've been using a bivy from enlightened equipment. It's called their recon bivy and really like it. And we get a lot of questions on what bivy we use and the recons no longer made. And so it was always frustrating to me to like, well, I, I have this one, but you can't buy it, but I would recommend the catabatic because it was very similar, but I hadn't used it in the field much yet. And I would always tell people that like, Hey, this one I use is not available. If I were buying today, I would get this catabatic. Here's why. And then I got sick of saying that. So I was like, I really want to spend <laughs> some time with this catabatic bivy and not just, you know, recommend it based on specs. Um, and so I picked one up and it is great, especially if you're a catabatic quilt user, uh, which if you listen to the podcast, you know that I am and have been for years. Um, but it has attachments specifically for their quilts, which honestly just makes it really nice. I'll just leave my quilt in the bivy when I pack up camp and just keep it as one system and and put it in the pack and go. So um, yeah, it's just a great bivy. You know, it it's a good zipper system, good ventilation. Um, you can pull the mesh up off of your face if you want to. Um, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I don't, you can stake it out if you want to. Again, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I don't. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just a great lightweight, simple bivy that at the same time, especially if you're already using a catabatic quilt, um, just the way that that whole system integrates is really killer. So I'm really happy with it. Steve up for you is the Garmin inReach mini two. I know that the Garmin inReach mini was actually gear the year for you back in I think 2018 when we first started doing this, but <laughs> the mini two is out now. 
Yeah, they came out with a Mini 2 at, at SNS uh, Archery. We're a, a Garmin dealer. And so I um, kind of like, you know, when new stuff comes out, we take it, use it. So just so we can provide feedback to customers. And so I grabbed a Mini 2 when it came out. And the obviously, we've talked plenty on the podcast over the years about the value of the inReach system. And there's others, there's some other competitors out there now that are doing very similar things. And I, and I think everybody should have some type of satellite communication. The Mini 2 came out this year, uh, better antenna built in and better battery life were the kind of two big takeaways for me anyways. And those very much pr- proved proven or proven to be true. Um, the battery life, I can literally just turn it on. And a good example is I just had it on. We were out for three days on your elk hunt. And it started at 99% battery. And I think at the end of day three, I was at like 73% battery. So just that's just on all the time messaging, you know, not a ton of messages back and forth, but that's certainly checking the weather every day, checking in with the wife, you know, texting a buddy here and there. Um, and just being able to leave it on the whole time is, is just nice time to worry about that battery life and uh, one less thing to worry about. And then consistently over the years, I've had glitches in the messaging systems um getting messages out and in sometimes it's just not like sometimes it runs like you're on your cell phone sometimes it's very slow and lethargic i have not had any of those issues with the mini 2 and i don't know if that's the mini 2 itself or i i think it's a combination of garmin has just increasing their um just how things work, right? Um, the, the satellites are maybe getting stronger signals or they have more satellites out there now and whatever um, network they have, the process, the messages might be improved. And, and I do think part of that is the, uh, the Mini 2 just has a better antenna in it. So it's getting a stronger signal. Uh, but regardless, it's just been a fantastic piece of gear. Um, up next for me is the Sitka Ambient Hoodie. This is a newer piece, not only to Sitka, but just a newer approach to a middle air. Um, it's lighter than a grid fleece, like for my specific sizing is about four ounces, four ounces lighter than the grid fleece I had been using. Um, for me, it is every bit as warm, but it also breathes better. So it's easier for me to regulate temperature in it. Um, and then the face of it has a bit more DWR to it. So in like a light rain, something like that, I just feel like it's a more versatile piece. And, you know, I think Sitka, um, like this is just one piece, but I will say that in the future, regardless of the brand and the space, you're going to see more and more mid layers coming out with this type of insulation and this type of approach for sure. Um, yeah, you're just going to see more of this stuff coming a hundred percent. The ambient has been great. So, um, I really do think it's, I don't want to say like going to change mid layers forever by any means, but I'm just saying you're going to see more pieces like this from other places and other manufacturers for sure. Um, yeah, killer, killer piece. So, um, next up for you, Steve is the Hilleberg tent that, as you said, you've been using for a heck of a long time. What made you put it on yeah it's just one of those like staple piece of gear that i have it's the hilberg and hand two i've uh, actually i'm on my i think i sold my first one to a buddy who at the time you couldn't get one there back ordered and he really wanted one for a hunt so i sold it to him and then bought another one a year later so this is my second one but i the first one would be absolutely going still strong it's it's not a tent that i use 
every hunt by any stretch of the means it's it's when i'm going to be with two guys and we expect weather um i.e like used it on my doll sheep hunt this year and it's just such a fantastic two-man tent that can take any amount of weather you throw at it um just absolutely love it so it was just one of those i was going through stuff like what's something that's i haven't picked as gear of the year in the past but it's just something that's a absolute staple in my in my hunting kit and that hilberg anhand is is it the quality of hilberg is unmatched and it's just a bomb proof kick butt tent um for you and i both steve the next picks are going to be our rifle chassis um you have the mdt hunt 26 i have the xlr uh element 4.0 and we've obviously talked about this and podcasts or if people have seen like my rifle build article i talked about why that's been um so critical to me feel free to hit on anything on the mdt specifically steve but i guess for you like can you just recap because i feel like we've mentioned it here and there but like recap why a chassis like at first it may sound cool or sound like a good idea or whatever but what are the actual practical benefits now that you've been using one for a while um, it, it all started from basically Alaska hunts, right? Kodiak, uh, my first sheep hunt up there where the, it's just the, the brush is on a whole nother level than here in Idaho. Like here in Idaho, you don't from a, when the strap of the gun to your pack, having the barrel stick up is annoying, but it's not a like shoot me in the head now situation. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it can't be on Kodiak. Um, and, uh, so that all started from like, okay, I want to, you know, when I built back in early 2021, last year, when I had the sheep tag, uh, my, my Frank Church sheep tag, I knew I wanted to build a, a lightweight 6.5 Creedmoor and I wanted the shortest barrel possible. Um, and so I had asked for an 18 and they, I think due to availability, they put a 20 inch barrel on there. Uh, but that, that was just all based off of that. Like I knew, I, I knew I already wanted to put a suppressor on it. And unfortunately that's like a, you know, you're adding weight and length to your barrel, which stinks. Um, and then, uh, so I was get, get as short as barrel as I could as at 18 inches was the goal. And then kind of somewhere around there, just started seeing these folding chassis pop up and, uh, it was like, Holy crap, that's incredible. You know, and it was one of those, like, it seems awesome, but when get it out in the field, how does it actually operate? You know, um, and then our bear hunt this, this year was the first time I had, uh, I got the hunt 26 chassis from MDT. We took it on the bear hunt and immediately after one hunt was like, yep, that's, that's amazing. Uh, I took the gun, you know, I'm just on a defiance action and just took the old stock off, bolted this one on, went out and shot a couple shots. I had to change my, I think I was like a four inches high and an inch left or something like that. My point of impact. But once I rear zero, zeroed it back in, everything was dialed. And just the ability to fold up that, the, the butt of the rifle, save 13 inches, that one of the many benefits is you can now have the rifle flush with the bottom of the pack. And it's not such a big deal when you're empty, although it's still annoying, but when the rifle's strapped to the pack and it's hanging down low, every time you take the your pack off, you kind of got to set it down on the side. You can't just drop it straight down. It really matters when you've got a hundred pounds on your pack and you're, you've got meat and the gun strapped to it being able to just take the pack off and set it down and not have to like finagle. So you're not dropping the rifle. Um, if you're in the mountains and you're slipping and sliding and falling, right. Uh, the butt of the rifle is not the first thing to hit the ground. The bottom of the pack hits the ground. There's tons of benefits from that kind of point of view. And then the other side of it is 
not only being a folding chassis, but both your and mine has an ARCA rail built into the fore end of the stock and be able to slap that onto a tripod. Um, it goes back to our gear the year last year, like rifle support systems added this whole new dimension of, I can put my gun on a tripod and, you know, just through a little bit of practice and, and kind of visualize and stuff. I just know, like when I just out last Thursday and I shot that coyote, it's like, okay, uh, the, I'm a, I immediately went to the tripod. I knew that was the shot that I, the support that I wanted for that shot. And at 347 yards, uh, I was able to just absolutely make a perfect freaking shot on that coyote and drop them. And then, you know, not, uh, well, I don't know, 30 to minutes to an hour later, I was on that buck and, uh, I immediately went to my shooting sticks. So I have the, the, um, SNSR two trekking poles, and then we have the wiser precision quick sticks that mount to it. And it was a close shot. So I knew that having absolute stability wasn't as important, but I, uh, having a, like, quick adjustability was to be able to adjust the trekking pole legs easily. And you can really just kind of get a good, quick rifle support. Um, I remember the same thing. I shot my bear off this spring off those, off the trekking poles and quick sticks. Uh, Cause it was kind of like, yeah, how that scenario played out. It was just going to be like, that's the shot to take. Um, so yeah, just the chassis in general has just been f- absolutely fantastic between the Arca rail built into it. Um, and then the folding stock, the, the butt stock of it, um, there's so many benefits that obviously everything costs money and these aren't cheap, but man, if it's something that's in your budget, I highly, highly recommend you take a look at it. Yeah. Um, just to elaborate on that further, I, I have the XLR, as I mentioned, and obviously I've seen yours hunt 2060 from MDT. And for the longest time, they didn't have a left-handed version available and I shoot left-handed they do now. And I have one. So that's one thing that over the next, I want to continue to use both for the next, you know, four or five months, something like that, and give them both some time. But I do fully anticipate on um, doing a a comparison of the two. And I think they're both Mm going to be fantastic. Um, My goal is just, as you said, Steve, these are not cheap and very few people are going to have the opportunity to get their hands on both of them in general, much less spend time in the field with them um, and really analyze kind of the pros and the cons of both. And so that's something that I will be doing and can share in the future for sure. Um, whether that's on the podcast or an article or something like that. Um, but yeah, a hundred percent to all the benefits you said. And the one that caught me off guard, Steve, is what you mentioned about not having it extend below, like in my head, of course I knew there'd be benefits to not having it be as high. That's the obvious one, but Man, when you're coming out heavy, as you mentioned, not having that rifle stock below your pack is so stinking helpful. Um, so helpful. And then on the Arca, like one thing to keep in mind is there's a lot of great options to put Arca on traditional rifle stocks now, but usually you're going to have just like a two or three inch section of Arca rail if you're putting it on a traditional rifle stock. And then you're deciding where to put that two to three inches it's is it going to be closer out you know uh to the end of the stock is it going to be closer to the magazine and i will say that i've done that it is limiting is something to keep in mind having full length arca like you get with a chassis becomes really important especially when you're shooting angles uphill or downhill because sometimes if you have this fixed two inches of arca on your stock, when it comes to shooting up and downhill angles, it's really tough to actually get in a proper position. But when you have that full length and you can choose where to position the tripod for the angle you're shooting, 
that is really when you um, will see the full benefits of having that option. So um, great stuff there for sure. More to come on the chassis. Steve, two seconds, like one thing that was on the list and we're running short on time, but you put my spotting scope on your <laughs> list and I want to know what's up with that. Um, so, you know, spotting scopes at SNS archery, we obviously get to see and test and, and use basically all the glass out there. And it's, it's, you know, obviously very spoiled and like, Oh, I'm going on hunt this weekend. What do I want to take? You know, cause we have kind of demo ones in the shop and so we can grab whatever. And, um, there's never, and there still isn't a, this is the scope to have, right? Like there's, there's lightweight scopes, there's heavy scopes, and there's kind of, you know, you got your 55s, your 65s, 77s, 88s, 85s. Um, and there's just never, a, there's not a perfect choice, but if there was a perfect choice, not a perfect choice, but the, the best choice kind of pound for pound, um, I think right now is the Swaro ATS with the 25 to 50 eyepiece on it. Swaro has, I think quietly improved the quality of that scope. I know we did probably 10 years ago, my buddy Jason and I for, for SNS Archer, we did a really like two to three month in-depth review of all like the Leica, Zeiss, Swaro, Koa. Um, and uh, I, the at the time that ATS wasn't really even in the in the review because it looking through it, it just wasn't quite the, as holding up to the other stuff. But right now it's fantastic little scope resolutions unbelievable i was just digiscoping out um in front of my house last night comparing the coa 77 to the ats 65 and wow there's better light with the 77 obviously the larger objective the resolution is very very close and that coa 77 is um another like top choice for considering like size weight and optical performance it's absolutely fantastic but right now if um you said, what scope do you want to take or, or have with you for the next 10 years? I'd take that Swaro ATS 65 uh, with the 25 to 50 eyepiece. It's just really, really good glass and it fairly compact and 48 ounces. Um, it's a really good choice. Cool. Well, that's that's why I got that one. I, I don't have all yeah. the scopes in the office. <laughs> I was like, I yeah, need one no. for everything. <laughs> I've been very impressed and I have, and I do have my hands on a, the new S uh, I have an STC, their new 56 millimeter and that ATS 65 is still, um, you know, it's, it's going to be 12, 13 ounces heavier, but, uh, with the, I've had that ATC or sorry, STC for probably three weeks now. And, um, I'd say I'd, I'd still take that at 65. That's a better scope. All right. Well, we got to run guys. Steve has elk to go chase and we certainly don't want to hold that up. Um, yeah, as always, I got to get the kids to school here. So and then <laughs> yeah. chase elk. Yeah. And so, then chase elk. As always uh, check out the links in the show description. We'll have the full list for everything we talked about today. Links to check out those products, links to all the previous gear of the year podcasts. And then as always, we're just happy to answer questions. Um, so feel free to reach out, send us a message, let us know what you want to hear. Um, just shoot an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Um, if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive the future episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.